Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. My name is Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution architect at SAP. So Simon, just recently we spoke with the lively and energetic Jason Averbuck about the sort of the future world of work and he grounded us back to the now and I think we were going to talk today about the future direction of HR and the changing workforce and we grounded ourselves and said no it's it's what's the evolving role of HR and the changing workforce and that convergence again I think this is going to be a really interesting debate because I think we're going to try and get into what does it mean what are the specifics what needs to change all of these things um, but what are you in particular looking forward to from this episode so I think with Jason, we we focus very much on sort of the organisational lens of this, and also the workforce you know lens of that. But I think in this episode, we want to drill down into HR specifically. You know, how do they evolve themselves in this new dynamic, uh, and the different expectations of both of those entities? You know, how do they keep themselves relevant, yeah. uh, and what are some of the disruptors to that, and what are some of the drivers to to have to change? I think that will be a a really interesting conversation and a real focus on HR themselves. Maybe sometimes in yeah, in the past, haven't always focused on themselves as much. I think for me, it is those focus areas. I, I mean, there's so much discussion about HR for HR and is it about HR? Is it about the business? Is it about, I want to know what needs to be different, what the focus areas are. I mean, the word convergence has come up many times in our conversation. So I also want to get into this, the implications, if you like, of the convergence between business strategy HR as a facilitator and the new workforce coming in. You know, what does that sort of look like? So our two guests, I know, will have real opinions on this topic. So it should be another great episode. So we are delighted to have two guests on our episode today. Firstly, I'd like to introduce Mark Brooks-Lewis. Mark is the founder and CEO of Lava Source HR. Mark has spent over 20 years leading HR, IT, and business transformation teams for some of the largest and most complex of global enterprises. He has traveled widely and built and run global HR shared service centers in India and the Philippines. More recently, Mark set up LavaSource HR, the first truly global talent marketplace dedicated to the diverse fractionalization of HR and HR, IT talent. Lava also provides established HR consulting solutions for those who require support across the HR and IT spectrum. And our second guest, we're delighted to have Tom Holmes. Tom is the co-founder of Varan Performance. Tom is an experienced finance and HR professional who has been delivering advice and transformation programs on a large and global scale for the past 20 years. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Simon. Hey, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So the episode today, it's interesting. I think at one point we were going to sort of call this the future direction of HR and the changing workforce. And we took a step back and thought, no, 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 that's not right. It's not about the future necessarily. It's about the evolving role, because I think that's what this actually is. It's more of an evolution rather than we're now going to embark upon this sort of future state. So as with all of our, our, our episodes, I'm going to put this into context, because I think during the, the podcast series itself, the role of HR has been central to many of our conversations. As the custodian for people, HR arguably has a more important role than ever 
in charting a course into the next phase of the world of work. Over the last 50 years, HR as a function has been through many iterations, and there are probably more column inches to read than is feasible on what that sort of future looks like. In the past, HR has perhaps been its worst enemy and has viewed its future and relevance through its own lens a little too much. I think that's a debating point. But I think as we come through the pandemic, it's clear the world of work won't be the same. Uh, and I think a major driver of what that change looks like, I think, is the workforce. So a group of people who in part of the world, I think, are clearly now voting with their feet. It's argued that the great resignation in some quarters has been overplayed, and that may be the case. But we have other data points, I think, to show the issue in front of us. I think if we look at the Gallup data over the last 10 years, for example, on employee engagement, people may not be leaving in the numbers quoted, but it doesn't mean that the people working for you or us are engaged and indeed happy. So I think as we head into this decade, there is real opportunity for HR and I think the future workforce to converge, to create a sustainable future for organizations built on a workplace experience that engages, but I think it enables individuals to be their brilliant best every day. So today we will be tapping into the thoughts of Tom and Mark, who both operate at this sort of intersection, if you like, every day. I think with all of the episodes we're having at the moment, I say the same thing. It's a debate. There's no right or wrong. This is about sharing insights. I, I've spoken, as you have, with many HRDs in the last six to 12 months and, and CIOs and CFOs and sort of said, look, what do you think is going to be happening into the in the future? And a couple of them have said, well, I don't think there's a manual for it at the moment. You know, what does this hybrid world look like? You know, what does the workplace experience really mean? You know, what's the role of the leader, et cetera? What's going to happen in terms of the marketplace, Mark? You know, um, what does that look like? So let's do a bit of a scene set. Tom, I'm going to come to you first. So what are our views on the role of HR today? Just a really massive open question, Tom. What's your, what's your, what's your sort of scene set? Well, I'm kind of reflecting on what's changed in HR because I've been working in HR for you know 20 years now, and um, for many years we talked about how important HR is and engagement and um, and and its activities and all that stuff. And frankly, it was true up to a point. But what I've seen in the last couple of years is the most extraordinary change in the importance and a recognition of the importance of the people function within businesses. There's not a business which isn't now talking about the uh, criticality of engaging its staff, having the right staff in place, and all that stuff. And I'm going to expand on that and that acceleration as we, uh, as we go through today's podcast. But really, the challenge, I think, for us as HR professionals is to rise to that strategic positioning required to drive. We've been asking for it for years, right? Mm. Now we've got it. The Evening Standard used to ask me to write uh, for various columns for them, etc. And um, I was doing the people angle and um, the people angle of stories, etc. And sometimes, very occasionally, they get published. I do not see a single story in any of the main national press anymore, which does not reflect largely on the people and the HR angle of that story. And there's a lot of people who need a lot of help, right? I, I, yeah. I reflect on that P&O thing. 
Is that the way it needed to happen? I don't know. I haven't looked at it, but it doesn't look right to me. It looks like there's a lot of work to be done. So I'll expand on what those pressures are during their podcast. But my overall view is that the role and the challenge of HRDs is completely uh, central to the success of businesses now in a way in which we've been asking for, but uh, it has now arrived big style. Like it, Tom, like it. I wholly agree, Mark. You know, uh, the, it's interesting, though. One twist for me is, is I think the challenge has been there for years and years and years. But I think to Tom's point, the recognition of the challenge, maybe not. Your thoughts? Yeah, look, I, I think some of the points you and Tom have made completely agree with arguably HR's role or the role of, of people management has never been more important there are the initiatives focusing on talent, trying to help the C-suite understand what the right hybrid approach is, if such a thing could ever be possible. Um, and a real change, I think we've seen from moving from policies and procedures to guidance uh, and helping to empower managers to lead their stuff for the first time in what must be at least 30 years since we've been actually doing training in this space. I think we're still being driven by an Ulrich model 2.0 now, which has largely not changed for the last 20, 30 years as well. So I think for me, when I look at HR organizations and how they help people and what they kind of stand for today, an awful lot is still driven by the strength of the chief people officer. Um, if they're really strong, it's got its seat at the board. Um, there are lots of initiatives, often too many, quite frankly, and it leads to pressure within the organization and too weak, and it's seen as transactional. And that doesn't then mean that they're able to influence the debate as, as they would like. So uh, I think I'd like to just see some of that being recognized in a way that, to Tom's point, we've always asked about, but not necessarily done anything about. Far too many people still say, I fell into HR. Um, and, and these are things that we need to perhaps just take an inward look at and say, this is the most important time, but what do we need to do to change to fundamentally um, bring ourselves out in a different place and in a different way? Because if we don't, we'll end up exactly where we were and everything else will have changed. And I'm not sure that's a good place. I mean, I want to be really clear, I think, to anybody who's listening to this episode, this isn't about beating up on HR. This is about, I think, looking at the challenge ahead of us all. So, Tom, if I can just phrase the next question. So there are many things that, you know, HR, you know, gets right today, but there's no doubt in that need to evolve, to add that value, to overcome these challenges. What does that look like for you then? You know, what does HR get right today, but which particular aspects does it need to evolve? The main aspects, I think, which uh, HR is a bit stuck within and which it hasn't responded to properly is the idea that um, one particular model is going to work or another model is going to work. We've been applying various models. Uh, Mark's already talked about the Ulrich model and that model and this model and all that stuff. But actually, the pressures we're under right now are too significant for one model to work for any particular business. If I look at the changes over the last few years, the hybrid working you've already mentioned, Michael, is, is very important. But in addition to that, we have a global skills shortage. We have various pressures which have reduced the mobility of labour on which we have been reliant upon for our businesses for the last 20 years. You know, Brexit is one example, but many other countries are, are reducing uh, talent and uh, mobility. We have skills shortages 
which both affect high-skilled staff members, which is something we have got used to over the last 15 years, but also people at every single level. So the finding of back office people, middle office people is as hard now or, or approaching as hard as the um, what we used to call the, the high talent, the more skilled end of the market. And I don't think any of those things are going away. So approaching that involves a far more direct relationship with our business and our business planning than we've ever seen before. And it's a long-term planning. So the application of one model or otherwise to the internal services is kind of becoming, to, to be honest, a little old hat. We are expected to have that fixed and to have that digitalized and working in the way in which front office works and as effectively as that so that then we can engage with the real issues directly with our business. I think the tolerance, which I see now, for organizations without the right HR tools, without the basic models, uh, without a digitalized approach to engaging staff and their managers, et cetera, is, is very limited because you know those tools, et cetera, are basic. They are the, the basis on which then we can actually add value to our businesses, which is tackling the big issues, which are these uh, the, you know, the genuine talent shortage yeah. globally and genuine other problems. Now, this is, this is something which we do in our business all the time, the digitalization of organizations. But I don't see it as being an advance or a way of transforming into a new future. I see it now as the basic tools businesses require to even be able to be in the game for yeah. the future world. And, you know, I'll talk about future pressures which I, I, I see coming up as well, because I think that, you know, if we think that the pressures are high now, I think we've got another thing coming in the next few years. Tom, I agree with you. I go back 10, 15 years with a, a, an old chief people officer of mine. She used to say, Michael, what's our biggest challenge? To get the right people in the right place with the right skills at the right time to run the business. And to do that, you need the kind of analytics and real-time data which as a basic factor, it is, you know, we used to talk a lot to um, larger companies where things like, oh, my headcount, what is my headcount in different territories and all this kind of stuff. That was a big debate point and quite hard to get hold of. That is no longer the question. The question is, what is the position of the talent in each of those locations? What are our plans? How many have we got in the hopper? You know, how many roles have we got outstanding? What are those roles? Where are the pinch points? Where are we going to move people from other professions and other locations to fix those? And what are the creative ideas which are based around that real detailed understanding of analytics? And Mark, you know, we're going to come on to this convergence between you know, what HR sees or the business sees, again, not making it only about HR, and what does the person who's going to come and work with you see, or what does that person expect? So, Mark, what, what are your observations in terms of what HR gets right, and what does it need to evolve? Yeah, so I, I think Tom's made a really valid point there about new initiatives, new ways of being, and I'm going to talk about perhaps blending or smashing together resourcing and recruitment to look at the internal and the external way of managing this as a, an end-to-end -end approach to the solution rather than looking at as separate things of internal and external management of labour. So that I want to come back to. In terms of what HR needs to do, 
Um, I, I think that small changes haven't worked. I think that we've played around the edges with models and tried to change things for at least 30 years and it hasn't largely changed anything. Um, I think that we see in particular this construct of the business demand being variable, but the HR staffing model being fixed. Um, and it leads to, and has done for as long as I've been in HR, which is about the same time as, as Tom, I think, one of three things, a constant reprioritizing of initiatives, which makes for constant change within the business and within HR. And it feels really uncomfortable constantly to be in that place. HR working longer and longer. And in the last two years, we've seen the effect on HR teams globally, um, really running at the edge of their capacity. And that clearly impacts the quality of the service they deliver um, out with global shared service centers, which are a little more consistently kind of managed in terms of um, standards and, and, and data. Um, and the third point is more junior people or perceived less important people wait for longer. Whichever model you take um, of delivering HR services has largely led to one of those three things over the last at least 30 years. And before that, of course, it was personnel. So uh, our view on this of what needs to change, we need a variable staffing model within HR to meet the variable business demand. I mean, it's pretty obvious when you look from the outside in, if you're a, a sourcing or resourcing expert, you'd say if one part is fixed and the other is variable, you're going to have a, a constant set of impacts which are potentially potentially negative. So HR effectively needs to move, in our view, to an Ulrich 3.0, which adds a, a set of trusted external labour sources to be able to tap into variable HR demand to meet the business demand so that it can support the right initiatives, doesn't have to reprioritise constantly, and do it at the right price and in the right way. Um, so that you can have a consistent way of managing internal and external initiatives. But the one big thing for me, and I, I mentioned it at the start, it's this, how do you deal with the talent drain? How do you make sure that all the great points that Tom made come to, to the fore? Um, and that's by looking at the way that we manage the resourcing patterns today. Um, and to do that, we've got to have internal and external resourcing as one single thing and look at the impact of employment contracts and are they set up in the way that they need to be, for instance, in the modern world? Are we still doing things that we were decades ago because we're dealing with compliance as a primary driver rather than competitive advantages of getting access to talent in different ways? Um, in diverse and inclusive ways, which is what everybody's always been looking for, they're out there. I'm sure. I'm not sure we're still meeting that challenge head on right now. Tom, I want to just come back with a quick follow-up question to that. Thank you, Mark. HR doesn't exist for HR. There are organisations out there that don't have a HR function. They do it slightly differently, and that's absolutely fine. So I think we've got to, you know, address that sort of elephant in the room a little bit, that HR doesn't exist for HR's sake. It exists because there's a business strategy, there's a people layer. You're, not, you're trying to align these people to that strategy to execute it. You want them to be working in an environment that's great and they like it and they feel valued, et cetera, and they can grow. And that means hopefully they're engaged, they stay, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds very simplistic, right, doesn't it? But in reality, that's the gig. So I suppose the point that I'm sort of digging around with then is, is to your point, Mark, you know, Ulrich Model 3.0, what is that? There'll always be a transactional layer. But what does HR evolve to, right? You know, what does it really evolve to? I mean, I talk about HR as a designer, a facilitator, an archaeologist, to your point, Tom, with the data and the analytics, you know, finding stuff that doesn't exist today. 
What is that, Tom? It's very interesting. You just described, Michael, a list of the things which uh, HR needs to be addressing. And, and, and Mark talked about it, interconnectivity and how it's in a much more interconnected world. And, and uh, that's critical. But when I listen to your list, you're not talking about HR. You're talking about driving productivity in a business. And that is what I believe is the function of future HR as we move forward. So it's actually addressing what is productivity within a business, how the people dimension hit that and, and, and impact that, and then addressing those underlying questions. So working hand in hand with the business, and you're absolutely right, sometimes these people are not labelled HR people or not, mm. but the aim is for both our employees and colleagues to give them a world in which they are able to be more productive and drive their very best performance, and at the same time, connect that to our businesses so that the businesses benefit from better performance within the workplace. And, you know, every business which has come out of COVID in a more successful and more dynamic position has addressed this in one way or another. The world is entirely or very substantively different now from what it was three years ago. And those businesses which have been successful are not addressing the individual questions about how admin and stuff like that are done and, you know, and, and the look and feel and all that kind of stuff. What they are addressing is the key point, which is how do we give people productive and rewarding roles? And then how do we connect that to the benefit of our overall business? And I think that that's really, really exciting. One key dimension of that, as Mark mentioned, is that interconnectedness. It's no good sitting within our function and looking at our team and what we are doing with our colleagues, et cetera. We need to be connected in one way, which is through outside recruiters and sources of, of uh, new people and new colleagues, et cetera, but in many other ways as well, I think, Mark. I think, you know, the Ulrich 3 model is only demonstrating one reach out, but actually there are multiples. We should be the center of an internal and external network with a view of driving better productivity and better understanding of how productivity works in our business. An old customer of, of ours, a gentleman called John Kustalis, John's a Gartner now, and he came out with a great quote a couple of years back when he said, the, the individual employee today does not give a hoot about processes. They care about outcomes and they care about having the capability to execute. I think the psychology, to your point, Tom, around this word called productivity has been completely missed for far, far, far too long. I think when a human being comes to work, they want to achieve. They want some clarity and yeah. they want to go away at the end of the day thinking, I've had a good day and I, I, I was recognized for that and I felt empowered. I, I felt pretty autonomous. I'm growing as I'm going along. And yet there's this sort of myth that that's not the reality of what actually people are looking for. And that's where I think the point has been missed. I think this debate about productivity has just been thrashed around and lost, you know, when we've had the debates about performance reviews and dropping ratings and dropping this or doing this and do that. It's missed the point. It's missed the point completely. What does that individual contributor need? It doesn't matter whether you process rates or doesn't rate or does this or does that. 
What do they need from that conversation? What do they need from that dialogue? How does it help them? Yes, there are, in essence, drive um, and address that question of a desire to be as productive as possible in a business. There are two ways of uh, addressing it. One is by predicting what a person needs to be their most productive. And that is done by many businesses where, you know, big volume businesses, for example, do they need a car? Do they need a, a motor scooter? Do they need what information do they need to start? And you can predict it or you can ask the employee what actually they need to be at their most productive. And both are great routes through. Our role is providing them with those tools at the right time and the right quality so that they can do their best and deliver the best results for the company. Exactly. And I think it was episode five. We uh, spoke with Harriet Green and Harriet was very, very clear. And I think, Mark, it brings me on to this next question about the workforce. The workforce is changing beyond belief, more mobile, transient, different perspectives, different expectations. You know, Harriet was, to your point, Tom, saying, look, if I'm tackling the problems or I'm tackling these challenges or I'm thinking about the next phase of work, I'm going to bring a diverse group of people together and I'm going to work it collaboratively. Gethin, you know, Gethin Nadine on the first episode said, let's get real here. The younger generation have gone through two financial crashes, 2008, nine, and now their whole idea of what actually is important to them in their life is not necessarily materialistic. It's not about for all of them getting this mortgage, getting this house. So Mark, you're, you're very focused on that sort of understanding of the external world and the market and what people are looking for in, in the modern day workplace. What, what is changing for you today? What is going to change in the next decade? So I think that's um, a great question, and it's probably the most important one at the moment. When you think about talent strategies, you think about how learning is managed, how you attract and try to retain people, because you're effectively talking about how do you spend and justify the learning budget within an organization and connect that to many of the things that Thomas is talking about in terms of upskilling, in terms of identifying where you've got gaps and adding productivity to right scaling, right place um, type approaches. So I was at a session last week and a number of organizations were talking about internal marketplaces and adding a real skills lens um, and providing people, managers with better tools, better ways of working to be able to enhance internal productivity. And actually I thought, if we take the lens you just talked about um, as a new entrant coming into the organization, uh, most studies are saying that they are thinking about staying at a company for maybe two or three years. And so how do you balance spending huge amounts of money on a program to take an individual through a structured learning path or across an organization and, um, and then say, will you stay with us positively for longer than that, when actually you know the likelihood is that it doesn't matter what you offer them. The experience they're getting is often cultural. It's often a type of organizational connection they have with a group of people and they're getting something from that and that's X. But these people are saying, really, I want Y, I want Z. And that means they're going to move around. So for me, one of the biggest challenges I think organizations have right now is trying to balance bringing people in to an organization and adding that fresh talent and recognizing that they're saying they're not going to stay for very long. Um, and therefore, how do you how do you create a strategy when both points are claiming to be true and both need to be true? Um, and, and where does that 
Um, where does that outcome lead to in five years' time, especially with some of the points that Tom has made previously around macroeconomic impacts? Because every, not everybody who's got a key skill um, is in high demand. Um, there are an awful lot of people who are just doing a day job and they're in different countries in the world and they're saying, do you know what? I don't feel like I can just give up my job and go somewhere else. Tom, what, what's your view? Well, I, I was thinking we do an awful lot of work in legal services, so law firms, global law firms, these kind of businesses. And and the very points you're making, Mark, are absolutely central to the challenges they're facing. The investment for a new starter uh, lawyer to get up to speed so that they can really start, you know, it's a three-year exercise. It's very significant investment of time and effort and um and, and, and cash, actually, as you say, in, in terms of learning. And, and those people tend to leave. The question is, why is that leaving? Now, in the past, we've thought about money. we thought about things like this. This is not the drivers. It's boredom which is driving them. It is often the fact that they are doing tasks which they should not be doing at their level. And they are not being challenged at the level they need to be challenged. So 60% of their work, once you are fully qualified, is stuff which could be done by somebody more junior or indeed by nobody at all, but, uh, by a, by a digital, digital colleague. And, and that is very frustrating. And if we do not address those kind of questions, then why should we be retaining people who are highly trained, who have been taught in detail how to think and act in, in complicated manners? Why are we forcing them or, or asking them to, to continue in a job which is boring? So that, that ability to create that and, and that planning to create that ongoing challenge to someone's career so that at every stage of one's career, one feels as challenged as when one is in that first learning stage is crucial to those parts of the economy which are focused on, 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 on high-skilled employees. And I think that we have not given this enough thought, Mark, yet, because we do describe getting people from A to B, from not being able to do it, to being qualified. Well, you know, what's the next stage beyond that and the stage after and the stage after and the stage after, which is going to keep them equally engaged? So this is the challenge, isn't it, right? So let's just let's just take the sporting world for the moment. The nuances of football, anybody who likes sport, I think has always been interesting that there's this thing called a registration or a, that is owned by a club and they can sell a player and get a lot of money for it. I'm always struck by Paris Saint-Germain paying, I think, what, £145 million for a young French footballer called Kylian Mbappe. And you think, oh, that's a massive outlay. That's a massive investment. There's got to be a degree of loyalty, surely, from Mbappe. You know, that club spent a lot of money. But no, no, it appears that Mr. Mbappe will be heading off to Real Madrid, I think, in the close season. And, and he'll go for nothing because his contract is up. I think that's a really interesting sign of the times in the world of sport. But I think it's also reflective of this conversation, right? I love what you've just said there. I'm going to come to you now, Mark, about boredom. Mark, your thoughts? Well, I'll come back to the boredom in a moment. But but your point on that particular sporting example is a great one, because if you compare that, and I am going to admit to being a Liverpool fan because it's probably a pertinent time, with the way that the culture of Liverpool has evolved, um, and, and that's from... The, the backbone of the organization and the leadership and the way that that board operates, the way that it's trusted and created a hierarchy of uh, collaboration and support, and then instilled 
something which I think we've found over the last two years has been central to how organisations have come through um, COVID, and, and that's with strong, honest, uh, respected leaders who people follow. And that's added a different answer to the question that Mo Salah might answer to the one that you just gave about Mbappe, because effectively they're happy within that culture, that environment. It's making them and their families feel like they're living the life that they would like to live, notwithstanding that he could go for £100,000 more per week. He may well stay because that's the environment that's giving him the lifestyle he's looking for, and he's able to work within a, a supportive environment for a great leader. And that's the kind of thing that I think we need to replicate in the business world, where we look at the key things that have always been there, great leadership, an environment within which people feel trusted, got colleagues they can turn to for mental health and, and, and support and all the issues and all of the, the positive things that we've always recognised as good indicators of strong, healthy organisations, what a learning organisation might be in, in old money, and also taking out the things that are getting in the way of that, because that's equally important, right? Um, all the things that are stopping us from being able to achieve those goals, they need to be recognised too, because the balanced approach of both is really important. So I think it's all around for me, great leadership now, and making sure that the environment that we set for people is one that they're happy to both stay within and are fostering a career of opportunity. Tom, I keep reading, as I'm sure we all do, people management people leadership has never been more important, right? And I sit there and I shake my head and go, it's always been important. You know, it's always been important. Mark, you're mentioning culture. We, on episode 15, we were very lucky to talk to Russell Martin, who obviously is playing a key role now at Swansea City. He's the head coach there. He talked about his philosophy, how that ties into the culture, how that ties into the behaviour, how he thinks daily about how he connects. We've used that word connected today, how he connects the team, the club, the community. So that interconnectedness that you referenced, Tom. So how do we go about fixing some of this? So how does HR, Tom, connect with the employee base, understanding the nuances of a human being, understanding the psychology, if you like, of a human being? What what happens? What happens next? It's very interesting that you've been using this football analogy. Of course, their problem is relatively easy. They've only got to keep people interested until they're 35 years old. <laughs> that's that in some professions, that's the beginning of one's career. So it's we've got a we've got a much more complicated uh, uh challenge ahead of us. But I think the the actual core approach to achieving that are the same. I mean, that you know, our businesses we focus on outcomes, and too often it's discussing narrow career possibilities and stuff like that, which we do with our colleagues and employees, rather than talking about the overall business outcomes and aims and the potential ways to contribute to those outcomes. And I think that is a, that's a key thing. The managers you're talking about who do really well are talking about the future, the possibilities of their clubs, where that club's going, what can happen and what they need from their team and colleagues to contribute and lead that activity. And we don't do enough of that. We talk more about this is where your career could go, this is the next step, all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, what for? I don't know if I want to make the next step. Why well, I get that office rather than this office? I, you know, that used to matter to me back in the 1950s maybe, et cetera, but it does not matter to me anymore. 
It's what I'm going to do and how I contribute to the success of what needs to be enterprises in which we're inspired by their outcomes and want to contribute to those outcomes. I mean, almost every business, when you look at it from a purely business perspective, is exciting. It doesn't matter what the content is. It is exciting. It's an adventure. It's something which a group of close-knit colleagues can make a very significant difference to. And, um, and that is what we need to be focusing on, which is what if we achieve and how do we contribute to that overall outcome? Yeah, I, I, I love it. I think outcomes has come up a lot, hasn't it? I, I think people are realizing that uh, the, getting into the world of possibility, getting into the world of challenge, Mark, and again, I keep thinking about the people coming into the workplace. I keep thinking about what is it that appeals? What is it that attracts? What is it that differentiates? You know, Tom said, these are, these are exciting organizations. They're living and they're breathing. But there is something, though, still, Mark, about this EVP for me. You know, what is that employee value proposition? That What does it say on the tin that makes me decide I'm going to work for that organization and not that one? What are your thoughts, Mark, on that? Yeah, I, I think two things have stood out for me recently. Um, one of them is this concept of how people feel when they're part of a team um, and getting experiences of working with new people. So I think the idea of bringing in fresh talent to a team to create a virtual super team, if you like, that adds um, not just the skills, but fresh views, fresh thoughts, and the excitement of working with people for the first time, and the chaos that's involved in that and the creativity that it brings. So I think this concept of internal resourcing models and external resourcing capabilities, whether you call it marketplaces, whether you call it, you know, whatever the term is, there's this bleeding or blending together of capability, internal and external, to create creative outcomes that you can't really get from the same people in an organization coming together to fix the same problems because often they've been in and they've heard the same commentary from their leaders for the last five or 10 or 15 years. And, and it creates a kind of thinking that is not constrained, but channeled or, or tunneled in a particular way. Um, and another is, I think I like the idea although this would take some um, some effort from not just HR, but the legal department and others of looking at employment contracts and seeing it as a, as a positive thing if um, adapted. So they're very negative in terms of the clauses within them. They stop people from doing certain things. They don't protect what's really important. Um, and so what I'd really like to see is for people, partly as a retention initiative, but partly as you know, a creative opportunity to have an adapted employment contract, um, an, an agreement between employee and employer, which allows them to go off and do certain things for other, you know, employers, not competitors necessarily, because I think that might be a step too far, but learning new things in new ways and bringing that back to the organization. Because often I think if we did this for younger people, they may feel, you know, I don't need to go and work for somebody else now. I don't need to leave after three years because I can work for more than one party at the same time, balancing their time, of course, because we don't want people doing 80 hours per week. But when we look at the stats that Gartner and others are coming out with, they're often US-led stats, but they're saying that by 2025, one in every two people will have more than one job. Um, and against that backdrop, we need to look at what's a driver of change. Um, the employment contract is one of them. The resourcing 
model is another. If we adapt them positively, then we can actually um, kill more than two birds with a stone. I love the idea. I, I was talking with a uh, HRD about three years ago. She had a senior HR role. She was advertising. She had 10 candidates. Eight out of the 10 only wanted to work four days and they wanted flexibility then in terms of the rest of their time. And I do think that that workplace employment contract is certainly going to come into review. It's going to it's going to at some point, isn't it? For sure. Simon, Simon, your your inputs and thoughts. Yeah, just listening to the debate there. I mean, I'm wondering whether one of these diverse groups that we need to bring together and consider is technology as well. You know, that's going to be a significant disruptor to the the role and the capability of HR going forwards. You know, when we look at things like AI and machine learning, you know, do to HR lean in to that technology and collaborate and try to get the best you know from that technology, or do they try and compete against it and and try and push against that and see that as a competition? Just interested in your views, Mark and Tom. Shall I jump in first, Tom, on this one? Um, I, I've heard a number of times recently that talent acquisition teams are under the cosh. Um, they're adding more and more people, and they're fighting for fewer and fewer people who are available to do the role. So I think there's no way of avoiding that we need to add AI machine learning, more technical capability into the funnel of sourcing um, and managing that process in a wholly different way than we've ever done before. We can't just keep on adding more recruiters. Therein lies a certain kind of craziness. Um, I think it will also help to look at enhancing diversity and inclusion within an organization because it will reduce the bias that's part of the TA process, not necessarily because of how people think, but because they're often just too busy to look at groups that require more care and attention. So if a hiring manager is turning around to their TA team and saying, I need five CVs for a role that's really urgent and coming up next week, they'll find the low-hanging fruit over and over again because they've got 50 other jobs to manage. So they won't be thinking about the, the person who's got one child who needs to work four days per week, and they may be slightly further away from the office than um, they need to, they need them to be. So it's how do you kind of mash all that together and actually technology will really help that and the data and trends that come with it will support not just the TA team, but hiring managers and the strategic sourcing initiatives of the organization as well. Simon, I love this stuff. My business has set up digital transformation for the HR function. I mean, and RPA, all this kind of stuff is the most exciting frontier we've seen. I mean, we implemented the first set of RPA at the home office, for example, and it's freed people up from extraordinary amounts of, uh, I wouldn't say moronic, but repetitive work, which was wasting their times and not helping them in their joy and happiness at work. And it makes a huge difference. The ability to apply technology quickly to solve repetitive tasks and reach out. And you know, Mark's theme about that ability to create a broader universe of external and internal people is all addressed by these kind of tools. And in our digital transformation work, what we look at is the front office of organizations and the huge strides most businesses have made to digitally transform what they've done in their products and services and then to translate that and set the same level of ambition 
in the back office, in their HR function, etc. They've got the tools, they've got the skills, the boards recognize how valuable digital transformation is, and it's moving from front office focus to the back office and, and the middle office. And I'm really excited about it because I actually think retention, I think that um, rewarding, making people happy, really driving careers in a business is about removing repetitive tasks and tasks which other shouldn't really be done by any human and giving those to our digital tools so that we drive an overall better experience. So our guests love the tips and we've had many today. I think there's been some great insights. So Mark, I'm going to come to you first and foremost. Uh, what would be one of your top tips for somebody working in HR or, or, or somebody working in the business in terms of this creating of the future? What would be top of your list? Uh, for me, it's the bleeding together of internal and external talent. Um, it's looking at the outcomes you're trying to achieve, problems you're trying to fix, um, and creating a model that identifies how you access those skills in a different way than has ever been done before and using technology um, to support that. So that would be my primary one. Um, and it's a, it's a new way of thinking for a new way of being. Well, there's been loads of tips throughout uh, the conversation today, so I'm not going to go over those. I'm going to go for one above all of that. And that is that I think that during the pandemic and over the last couple of years, we've taken a more defensive view, worrying about people leaving companies, how we do reward them, all this kind of stuff. And I'd like us all to be focusing more on the joy and happiness which people get from rewarding workplaces and actually focusing on what is it which drives us. None of us come to work or many of us choose our workplace, etc., because we actually love working there. So how do we generate that feel and how do we make that feel sustainable so that we don't get guys leaving Paris Saint-Germain on uh, 140 million quid or whatever it is and heading off down uh, down into, into Spain? Yeah, it's there's something which which we need to focus on and we need to be less defensive about this I, work. <laughs> I, I have to agree. No, I agree with you completely. And I think that's that's the framing, isn't it? I think it's reframing. What are we actually trying to solve? What's the puzzle? What's the challenge? How do we crack that? And nobody's arguing that it's easy. Human beings complex. We're all different. We all bring a predisposition to work. What matters to me is different to you, Tom. So I think, you know, the purpose for me of this conversation today, and you're right, there's been many top tips. It's how do we reframe? How do we look at the technology? How do we look at those outcomes? How do we create more of a convergence between the employee and the people people department, if you if you like. How, how do we do that? So I think this debate's going to rage. I think it's going to rage on. I think there's so many different nuances. But we're very, very grateful, Tom, to you and Mark for your input today and your thoughts. And I think, you know, people will take a lot away from this conversation. So a huge, huge thank you to you both. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. It was great fun. So, Simon, this is one of those episodes where I'm almost leaving the conversation and I've got more questions that I still want to ask. It feels like that conversation is almost like, yeah, but what if this or or what if that or is that truly the right focus area? It felt like that kind of conversation that we could have gone on probably for a couple of hours and we would have still been digging for gold. What 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 were some of your big takeaways from that conversation? 
So I think I agree with that characterization as well. Uh, I too come away thinking there's more to that conversation, I think, to still dig into. But I did love the discussion around the the dynamic of uh, and the dichotomy of you know, bringing somebody into the organization and investing in them versus their own expectation and how they might then leave regardless of that investment sometimes. Uh, and, and I think that dynamic is going to play out over the coming years. And it'll you know, be interesting to see how that you know, changes things, see how HR react to that and, and see how HR change what they do to try and persuade people to stay, you know, regardless of financial investment, but what other incentives, what other differentiators will they add to persuade people to stay and continue their, their relationship with the organization? I particularly loved the conversation there and, and it could have gone in a number of different directions. So, uh, you know, great insights from, from the two guests, but again, probably still a wait and see. Yeah, it is because the op model came up a number of times, but Ulrich 2.0, Ulrich 3.0, you know, Mark was talking about internal, external. Tom was talking about a connected function. But I think the productivity puzzle came back up again, didn't it? That we've got to get back to the psychology of the individual and what are they wanting from the world of work versus what maybe the organization thinks or HR indeed thinks. So this is where that convergence of HR and the business truly listening and really designing an experience or designing a proposition that achieves that. We brought up example, didn't we, of Kylian Mbappe? He was in the, what, 21-22, and I know football's different. I know it's about the ownership of the registration. It's an asset, not, not the same relationship. But it's hard, because back in the day, people would say, well, if you don't invest, you won't keep your best talent. But now you're saying, yeah, but hang on, if you do invest, they may not stay with you anyway. I, I just think this convergence is going to be really interesting. I think the way that HR steps outside maybe of its normal boundaries and thinks about how it designs this and how it gets the data wrapped around it, I think is going to be really crucial. I think as well, though, you know, we might see this go full circle and people revert to sort of loyalty in the workplace. And that's not to say they're disloyal today. It's just to say it's a different dynamic today. But it might revert again as people are seeing unfulfilled careers, for example, and, and maybe that design, maybe they should have stayed. Maybe there's that a little bit of that grass is greener on the other side that, that's driving some of those changes. I think that it's, it's yet to see how this plays out. Or is it, as we've discussed, the thirst just for a new experience? Lives to be lived. You know, if I take the Mbappe example, I've always wanted to play for Real Madrid. So I'm going to go to Real Madrid. Why not? And it doesn't matter that PSG, his club, want to keep him. I don't know. You're right. It could go full circle. But what is clear, I think, is that the the challenges, and Tom was alluding to it, will only get greater, I think, in the next few years in terms of where are these skills coming from? Where do you find them? And, you know, How do you align that back to your work planning and your strategy? Great. Great conversation. Really good, actually. Uh, thank you to Tom. Thank you to Mark for being guests and offering up their insights. That's episode 19. Can't believe it. Can't believe we got to 19, Simon. But we're on to 20. So we're on to the next one. Thank you again, as always. And until the next one, I hope everyone enjoys it. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.